0: It was late at night on the open road Speeding like a man on the run A lifetime spent preparing for the journey He's closer now and the search is on Waiting for a map in the mine Yes, there's the ragged hill And there's the boat on the river And when the rain came down He heard a wild dog howl Voices out of sight out of Too many men have failed before what do do? Don't pay the favor Don't even fix a price Don't pay the favor Until he gets you to the other side ah. Ooh. In the rolling mist that he gets on board And the lightning flashed and the thunder roared, and people calling out his name, 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 and dancing bones that jabbered, and mole on the water. And then the ferryman said, "There is trouble ahead, so you must pay me now. You must pay me now." And still that voice came from.
1: of Aiken Acquisitions Limited. Soulmongers Express.
2: An antiquated operation of cloak and dagger pantomime in the equinoxes of the pernicious heart of Novo America. Written and edited by Benjamin G.P. Spannus.
1: Everything in this work is written as an experimentation into the nostalgia and genre of human morbidity, which was once closer to us than we think, but is now very far away. Everything is written as speculative fiction and therefore does not offer any similarity to the nightmare of the phantom world we live in, but rather is an ode to the nightmare of those who have suffered before us. As such, when we pay homage to such flights of fantasy, it is important to remember that though filtered by the author's experience, just as patrons at a museum are not guilty of history themselves, nothing in this novel is truly reflective or honest of the author's own faith, values, beliefs, or desires.
2: Now shut up and enjoy the show.
3: Anachronism City is a card trick. Its pristine industrial buildings and stylish geometric megastructures are temples to the diligence of the human spirit. But these buildings are merely cards in a front-loaded deck. The entrepreneur treats you like a friend, offering before your buff a fate to choose from. You can be anyone you want in anachronism. You can live any dream. All you need to do is pick a card. For a moment you glimpse it, the part of the city that has become the ace of your heart, or a queen promising diamonds. But the entrepreneur flips these cards through his innocent gloves, and the flash of your future is buried. Ooh, how exciting it is to play the lottery of life. Existing in exciting anticipation as life dexterously moves by you and shuffles your hopes between the mundane destinies of others. Is this your card? The entrepreneur flips the decorative uniform card-backing, revealing a food stamp. You are confused. You look around. This isn't splendor and hedonism anachronism promised you. The champagne doesn't flow, and the only thing about the streets that is golden is the smell. Certainly this is a mistake. You are on the wrong side of the Grimwall, a wall that eclipses the Gardens of Titans. A wall designed to keep audiences like you out. You pull a muddy, moth-eaten shawl over yourself as you hobble with a limp through the filth. You wave your chosen card good for one ration, and demand more from life as you spit loudly at the man behind the booth bars between quickly decaying teeth. The man draws the red curtains of the booth, refusing to serve you any longer. The audience in their nearby disheveled junk huts laugh and heckle. Anachronism City once again pulls its favorite trick. For the moment, the magic made you a believer. You thought you saw something in yourself that wasn't. You were suspended from reality. It doesn't matter who you dress as or how you got here. Audience participation is a warm-up. Act one of a grander show. Backstage. The entrepreneur looks at the shattered mirror of his own life, the wilting bouquet from an assistant that is no longer with him, the fallen sequins of pride, a locked book of secrets that he paid for that he is too cowardly to open. Every night he returns to the spotlights of the city, but when the audience cheers they don't say his real name. He too is part of the trick, a how-to of which the great magicians that went before him would take to their grave if they weren't master escapists. The entrepreneur paints a fake smile on his face with powdered makeup. The fat woman next door in the Viking hat is warming up her vocal cords with a wheezy shrill tune. Want to see a magic trick? The vocal cords of the entrepreneur's distorted reflection ask, gesturing at the remaining cards. Knowing each card in the deck of many anachronisms might end the game. But not all magicians are so bleak when they realize the value of being able to suspend life's bullet between their teeth. Some are chipper. Inordinably so. The macabre Mr. Whisper whistled as he eclipsed the sunlight, awkwardly manhandling the manhole cover as he descended cautiously into the rotting intestines of the blightstick sluiceway, anachronism's metropolitan sewer system embedded in the very monolith battlement, umpty feared to climb. Out of sound and out of might, the gremel held the entire contents of the city's emptied bowels and certainly many more other secrets. It was difficult to climb down the ladder holding two thermoses of coffee, and yet somehow, a man in a tall top hat and long black tails had managed dusting himself off with his elbows, the well-dressed man paused only briefly to be startled by the smallest rat he had ever seen slinking back into the shadows. Otherwise, this dark man's smile and stride kept the atmosphere light as he strutted on ancient Henge and Capstone, the taint of fetid sludges and waters below him, as he traveled through the dozens of cylindrical arteries in the hut of the Sluiceway. Eventually, he turned the corner and happened upon a neighbor of his. A woman dressed as a man in riding pants, combat boots, and a respectable waistcoat. The sleeves of her shirt were rolled up to accommodate bulky leather gloves that fished in a mesh curvy crate, covered in black seaweed and trash. As she bent over tending to the affairs of this box, the back of her auburn bob-bounced around the leather strap of her gobbles, and the leather gun holster on her wide hips did also. Morning, Max. I've brought you some Joe from Fulcrum's Crumb Cakes. Best way to start the day. The well-dressed man approached his acquaintance with a silver thermos, outstretched in hand but was startled when she turned around and revealed herself to be wearing a kind of streamlined clockwork gas mask. But it wasn't just his eyes that were shocked. His nose began screaming bloody murder as a wave of overly ripe odors regurgitated offensively on his olfactories. From her leather gloves, Mags was holding a pair of elongated clockwork tongs, and between those was pinched something levitic and malodorous. A blackened moist carcass that perhaps once resembled a mammal, but if the dregs falling off it revealed anything, perhaps no longer. Oh, what is that? Was all the magician could get out as he choked on ghastly and holy gases? I
4: think it was a Volps-Volpsnicator.
3: The woman spoke with a decidedly infused Irish, though mask muffled accent. Jess and height. The well-dressed man chuckled, relieved, when the woman walked over and grabbed one of the thermoses he was holding. Once freed, he immediately pinched his nose with a white-gloved hand.
4: Scientific name for Sierra Nevada Fox. Their population, of course. Was dwindling for decades, but they've recently been turning up frequently within the city's boundaries. The last few months have been the first time they've been spotted in a century. Very rare. Worth studying. Thanks for the Java.
3: The woman popped the thermos between her legs and quickly and efficiently twisted and popped the cap as the carcass dangled in her tongs. She seemed too apt at the thermodynamics of the thermos to fear spilling any, and yet she immediately swung the thermos upwards and poured its steamy black contents all over the already soggy X-Fox with a hiss.
4: All piping hot. Just as I requested.
3: The magician gopped at her actions. His efforts to impress the woman by way of a thoughtful trip to the breakfast diner seemed all for naught. (sighs) Ah... Mags? The poor boy was very confused as to her peculiar behavior.
4: Eureka! Just as I deduced. The scalding coffee will kill the maggots and improve the smell.
3: The magician's lips curled in disgust as bloated white delights fell from the fox and curled still in a similar fashion. From one of her many leather belts, the woman known as Mags produced a canvas sack into which stuffed the Black remains. She removed her gloves and tucked them into another leather pouch before reaching up and twisting the muzzle of her mask. With the hiss of miniature pistons, the muzzle was unlocked and removed, as other clockwork mechanics of the facade folded up, hiding in the telescopic machinations of the goggles she wore. Seeing her face caused the nose-pinching magician to blush. This was the only woman he knew that could still look good in a sewer, bagging a canine's cadaver.
4: Well, that's all the lobster traps checked for this morning. No bottles were news to report.
3: The proper woman turned back and scooped up a folded leather umbrella whose gears and gauges shook as she swung it in her arms acrobatically while Fox sat bound slouchingly over her shoulder as she rejoined her peer.
4: Shall we head to the office then? Mr. Whisper.
3: It would be my pleasure, Miss. Magnet. Having lost all flavor in his mouth as they walked, the magician threw his thermos over coffee over the edge and into the black water. The two resumed walking the long hollow hallways of the sluice way. Toward the destination. Ah
0: smell a red baby. I smell a red baby. You better watch out. I smell a red
3: more tunnels and a lithograph house of stairs later. The top and tailed Mr. Whisper and the eccentric Maiden Magnet stood above the blightsticks as abhorrent torrent on a curious wooden landing. A poorly constructed poor man's wharf. It buckled and groaned under their weight and against the sucking blighted waters. As they waited at the dock, Magnet blew a puff of orange hair out of her face and fidgeted with her umbrella. She looked down and noticed an annoying spot of oil on her pants. She fervently rubbed at it, but she quickly accepted this as her lot in life, but not before gazing at her acquaintance to whom she stood in the solidarity of silence.
4: I'll never understand why you risk coming down here dressed like that every day. How do you keep that suit of yours so clean?
3: She scowled inquisitively at the tall man. Mr. Whisper laughed, removing his top hat and holding it to his chest, his well-groomed black curly hair bouncing as he flashed a dynamite pearly smile. The trick, Ms. Magnet. He paused smiling trying to decide if he would like to name a brand of washing detergent. The trick is magic! He winked at the last, but she pish-poshed his nonsense. She tightened the tie around her neck and retrieved a pair of aviator glasses from the breast pocket of a waistcoat. Madnet leaned forwards and looked down into the hollow recesses of the black-colored canal. Adrift in the endless void, she saw a lighter oblique glasses, reflected back a light.
4: The Aquavita. It's almost here.
3: Mr. Whisper checked a pocket watch and commented on the timing. In no time at all, the channel rushed with exponential waves of sludge, a bean tin hitting the dock as a large mechanical craft surfed the taint and arrived at the dock. The rusted junker that was some kind of nefarious lovechild between a paddle steamer and a tugboat rocked backward and forwards as it approached. Sparks and steam escaped a whistling gramophone-shaped smokestack as black bile poured off the ship's engorged, scrappy water wheels from the jerky stump. A long, articulated scrap metal hand rotated out of the boat and simultaneously grabbed the dock, locking it in place and making for a makeshift gangplank.
4: You're quite right, Mister Whisper. Mid is getting better at being on time. Perhaps they'll actually get clientele tonight.
3: Ms. Mednet rolled back her sleeves and examined one of the many clocks and gauges on the leather bracer that ran up her arm.
4: Well, come along then, I suppose.
3: The woman clutched her umbrella like a suitcase and tied her fox back to one of the posts on the dock, before stepping onto the groaning mechanical arm. Rust shifted underfoot as she walked beneath the tesla fairy lights and colored paper lanterns that foolishly tried to bring life to the clunker husk. The magician followed her onto the barge’s courtyard and past the out-of-place steel fountain and through the swinging saloon door teeth and dripping red carpet tongue into the maw of the vessel. The belly of the steamboat was a much livelier atmosphere than the oppressive muck-pen of the outside sluiceway though sleepy in the early morning dark hold of the ship homemade candles and bottles and gated emergency lighting kept the brassy red curtain and plumbing draped walls cozy as did to the many fine wooden dining tables and rounded booths that stood elegantly on a patchwork of expensive looking Turkish rugs before a rinky-dink rudimentary made do of a wooden stage to the back of the enchanting den was a polished copper bar before the brick wall that seemed to have been established in the boat for aesthetics more than it did house a stained-glass apothecary of colorful and luminescent beverages behind the bar a gypsy woman in many layers of blanketed robes and on ornate charms worked a gumption against the spilled drinks of the night before. She worked hard as though under the gaze of the bizarre daunting harlequin marionette, whose outstretched porcelain hands clutched a phone receiver as it sat on the tabletop like a mascot. This working woman looked up at the entrance with one good eye, the other concealed behind a bandit-like patch as her lart, star earrings and voluminous hair as far-reaching and pitchily black as the night sky itself danced beneath the maroon bandana she wore on her head. This boat, Aemian woman was Nairo, the current manager of the only dive bar in town that could actually dive with enough rust worn holes in it. But this was not the only occupant in the bar, making use of the morning rush. On stage, a plump young woman in feathered wrap shimmered and shallied back, and forth in a sleek palescent dress her silk roses and cheap beads bounced on her person. She entertained perhaps an even more idling party who sat in one of the booths opposite the stage. Lurking more like a sardine in the booth than a person was a literal giant of the man who sat slouched over to avoid his derby hat from being crushed by the ceiling. He was at least eight feet, tall and slender with a handsome face curated by glasses and the rosy hue of morning sin. He cheered for the singing woman on stage as his arm long enough to have both reached behind the shoulders of two identical women wearing tightly pulled bonnets and the loose shoulders of flapper dresses. Despite sitting awkwardly back to back and having faces plastered in makeup, the two women laughed and clapped along in tune to the soulful tunes carried by the diaphragm of the woman on stage. There was one other patron in the bar, who appeared to be less there than the others by choice. Ms. Magnet stepped on him with a combat boot. He was hard to avoid. Though not as alarmingly tall as the other man, he was still a beastly, meaty, gorilla of a man. He was dressed in a queer way that would have been fitting less for this venue and more for the cover of a paperback nasty. His hairy, grieved leg stuck out of a mandled black leather cingulum and lopsided blue tunic. Following the trim of black leather, this bulldog-esque man wore on his head a studded black leather helmet that looked like a cross between a Roman Gaelia helmet and a boxing protector. Following the theme is passed out. Legionary boxer was going for two spiked black strapped leather gauntlet gloves around his massive sprawled fist from which his name was drawn.
4: What happened to Mr. Cestus last night?
3: As Madnet poised on the wounded animal like a hunter securing a prize, she looked across the den to Nairo. Though it was fairly obvious from the smell of piss and booze that Cestus's body communicated an overt narrative of the previous night's events that would be clearer than the one Nairo would spin.
5: It was his shift as bodyguard. Some young congressman's son's nephew's birthday. You know how these things go. Hit the grave and tap a little too hard last night.
3: Behind the bar. Nyral abandoned the spot she was polishing and knocked on the solid submarine-style steel door embedded in the wall where the bricks ended.
4: He knows we have work today, right?
3: Magnet kicked her heel into the embarrassing sack of potatoes and mussels. Cestus wheezed and spat a water froth from his mouth. Magnet rolled her eyes and stepped off him.
5: Leave him alone. He ain't no script holder, and this ain't no Power Owls Cathedral. Plus, I like it when Cestus drinks. He's a brute sober, but when he knocks back enough of my vitals... That bulldog becomes a sad puppy. He's slept long enough, he'll shake it off soon. And if he doesn't die, I'm sure you shock some sense into him.
3: As Nerel spoke and Mednet made her way to the red stools before the bar front. The aquatic wheel of the polished brass door opened and out stepped a petite thing. Something that had the figure of a platinum-haired teenage girl in a waitress costume, but who instead resembled an exotic mummy in a diner waitress outfit. This was because the girl was wrapped head-to-toe in thick bandages. The only thing visible being her wavy weaves of hair beneath a paper waitress hat and a single bloodshot eye the opposite one to Nyril. As she arrived onto the scene from the smaller bowels of the ship, Nyril loaded her up with a platter and a grueling bowl of slop that she hoisted out of the black and beaten pot. Take this to Mama, please. The girl nodded cautiously and clutched the tray tightly. Megnet paid no unusual attention to the girl, who contemplated but abandoned a curtsy to greet her as she went past. Instead... The girl swerved like a wet snake between the cluttered tables over to where Mr. Whisper was standing, leaning on a section of the wall that was crudely wallpapered near the stage stairs.
6: How you doing, Etiquette? It's good to see you. Leave it on the table right here. I'll make sure Mama gets it.
3: Etiquette blushed though you couldn't tell beneath the bandages and this time did silently curtsy through pained movement before retreating to the bar. The tall man and his lady companions clapped raucously as the woman on stage nailed the final note with the last of the song in her bellows. She thanked her little audience between swirls and down-pushed hands before trotting off stage with her plump, revealed legs. Here's your breakfast, Mama. The woman was bigger than him, though shorter and younger. He felt a pearl bracelet slap his back like a meat tenderizer as she perked on her tiptoes and embraced the dapper magician. Oh, Nikki, you're too kind to Mama Baby. She squished her lips to the miasma of his black beard before jumping off and scooping up the bowl of lumpy porridge. You look very handsome this morning, sugar. Mama. Mr. Whisper turned his eyes away and shook his head.
7: You know, Nicky boy, you should be more proud of that woman. If you could see the tip she's raked in since she
3: started working here, might have to replace the pipes of this old trash barge with her golden one soon. The tall man at the booth heckled the magician, but Mama waddled over and slapped him on the arm, spilling porridge on the table as. She slid into the booth, sandwiching him next to the Painted Twins.
0: Oh Slims,
6: you! a devil! I am just using the gifts the good soup gave us! So what the great fatty Slims is telling me is for once this junk bucket made money in the way it's supposed to.
7: And then some. I told you. All it would take is one good evening where someone doesn't drop dead from drunken arguments settled with bullets. The little shrimp that was in here at the time of his life. Soon he'll tell all his statesmen friends, and this place
6: will be swinging harder than a rat on a chandelier. And we've made how much scratch back after you spent so much of our hard-earned dough on prostitutes to ensure our little boot-legging bootlicker had a
3: good time. The twins held matching dainty arms to their mouths as they giggled to Mr. Whisper's witty question.
7: Hey, look all I am saying. The kid having a good time is an
3: investment. Fatty Slims chuckled with a deep, giant, magnified voice.
7: The boy entered the Aquavita Lounge of Virgin and came out a man. The fountain works both ways. Now he'll tell his friends and they'll all come racing down here for the hair we provide for their chest. That's how you peck a house. We ain't in wartime no more. Good experiences and word of mouth is the new propaganda. Haven't you heard?
3: Fatty Slims laughed, the booth nearly shaking with his booming voice and chuckle contractions. Mr. Whisper raised his gloved hands, finding it hard to disagree.
6: Okay, okay, okay. As long as you think it's a good tactic for us to be so aggressive with our mouths. My stage name certainly implies a certain resistance to noise getting too loud. As much as I want to see this place go legitimate because the jobs Nyral hired me for are killing my lower back, I'd hate for the ruckus and investments we're making to attract the attention of the upper statesmen and the blue coats.
7: The Android knows I appreciate your entrepreneurial spirit, Mr. Zilch, but you're hired for smoke and delusions. I am hired to make this place genuinely look good. Anyway, love the singing, Mama baby. We really are few cracker, but if we're docked, I got to
3: hop. Ladies, Electra Migora, I look forward to seeing your new routine next time. The two twins next to him giggled in a thick German accent as they responded to his cue and both shuffled awkwardly, remaining back to back out of the booth. Though he had been the acquaintance of the von Hydra sisters for quite a while. Mr. Whisper's spine had never quite gotten used to them, especially as they stepped out of the booth as peripheral on a single pair of badly scarred legs covered in the metal zip fangs of snake-like stitches. The front girl Megara shuffled forward, hands on her shared hips as the back girl hugged Fatty Slim's slunken waist. Fatty Slim's continued to dust the tin ceiling of the lounge as he made his way towards Mednett's perch at the bar. Well,
7: you're running things well, Nero. Another night like that. You might finally cover my service fees.
3: Naira waved at Slim's with her dish rye as it he crouched down, shuffling bottles in a cupboard.
5: Another night, and you might finally pay off your bar tab.
3: A midget. Fatty paused reflectively, his brow raising above his glasses. Find me a dead dwarf I can shut, and I'll pay off my tab. Naira laughed as Madnet scoffed at the giant man's ridiculous request.
4: I didn't pick you as someone who wanted to be undercompensating Mr. Slim's. We're professionals, not recruiters for the Miracle Slum
3: Freak Show.
7: No, I wouldn't go to Euphoria Beach. Best show on Earth's right here.
3: Slim's glasses glinted in the dim, sultry light as a new arrival pushed their way through the second set of saloon doors at the stairs' base with more confidence than anyone else that morning as the doors flapped in the dank cabin air. A ten-gallon hat, hugged by emerald, dealt goggles obscure, the newcomer in shade. The newcomer was clearly a cowboy, but the pelt cape torn shirt and blooded bandana scarves that wrapped the remains of his body did nothing to conceal his true identity. Above loose, ill-fitting industrial slacks and ornate leather chapguards, the cowboy's ribs jutted out of the shadows beneath his torn robes, suppressed by two bandolias of bullets worn like badges of dishonor. Iron at his hip and hunting rifle bouncing on his back, the cowboy had an air of inhuman intimidation about him, but the morbidity of his arsenal was nothing compared to his face or lack of one. Gaunt and fleshless, the skeletal pale rider stared down the lounge in a panorama sweep, a tiny spark of emerald life glinting from within the hole of his shadowed eye socket. Dead men were known to what these days in Anachronism City, but not like this. The cowboy trudged deeper into the bar, clanking and jangling from metal and bone. He arrived above the fallen, beefcake drooling body of the man known as Cestus and looked at him disappointingly. Fatty Slims removed his proportionally small oculars and rubbed them on his tent-like suit jacket for a better look at the stranger. He just walks around like that in the daylight?
4: You hired him.
3: Maynette at the bar let her head fall into her hands as she removed herself from the cowboy showmanship. The cowboy gritted at fatty through tarnished external teeth.
7: Take no sin to take off your skin and dance around in your bones.
3: A skeleton man cluttered forwards through the tables as Mr. Slims took his reprise, struggling to raise the cap on his head from a neck that already slanted against the ceiling at a nearly 90 degree angle. He bid Nyrell and her queer cohort goodbye as he vanished through the still swinging saloon door like a jolly soul of a chimney. The cowboy approached the bar and took a seat some distance away from Magnet. Nyrell leaned forward with her elbows between the frosty pair. She looked across at the bearded magician and the two and a half giggling women in the low boot around him.
5: Deadman's here. Shall we get started?
3: At Nyrel's suggestion, Mr. Whisper scooped up his hat and bid the women adieu, in particular pausing to feign a kiss at both cheeks of the rotund and talented Mama Baby.
4: In all honesty, I am surprised you decided to show up today.
3: Magnet did not look across, at Deadman. Instead, she plucked a little full paper umbrella toothpick from a dusty nearby glass and paperclip from her hair. The skeleton cowboy cool tipped his hat and turned slowly as though he were about to creak toward the indignant young lass.
2: I am on the peril,
3: ain't I? Again Magnet chose to ignore him as she unfolded the paperclip into a solid metal line. The magician chuckled in an attempt to break the ice as he slid into position leaning and standing at the edge of the bar. I think what Mags means is, you missed
6: last night's rehearsal.
3: Mr. Whisper flashed his perfect internal teeth at the cowboy's external ones. Deadman sniffed and snorted a phantom Hayek in rebuttal, as though he yet retained the required ducts and biles needed for a disrespectful Luji. Mednet rolled her eyes once more, taking more pride in the perfect way the paper clip now coiled around the stalk of the umbrella. It had given her revelation into what she might do with the spinal cord of the fox later. Before Deadman could reply properly, this time with words, he felt a tug at his tattered uniform. He turned around to his left side and found the embalmed hand of a teen mummy in a mint waitress dress.
5: I'm a Mr. Deadman. Can I get you your usual?
3: The red dye of the adolescent girl squeaked timidly. Deadman took his time, eyeballing what he didn't have. He nodded solemnly, but as Etiquette turned to leave, Deadman lashed out a tattered, bony arm and grabbed us by the wrist. Etiquette panicked with a struggle.
7: Maze Eddie, you oughtn't should feel the need to wear these.
3: The girl scared red-eye looked down at where Deadman grabbed her. Nyril slapped a leather coaster down in front of Deadman in a root, captivating fashion. Deadman grunted and released his grip in response. Etiquette snapped her arm back and nursed it. The area where Deadman had grabbed her turned weepy as they clung to her skin with a seeping orange. Hugh.
5: Leave the help alone, and look at your glass of wasted whiskey.
3: Nirel popped a cork on a green reused bottle and filled Deadman's glass a quarter of the way with amber ambrosia. Nirel is right. I am aware everyone
6: is familiar with the game plan. some of us arrogantly so. But shall we
3: review? to ensure we've perfected the performance. Mr. Whisper placed the top hat he was carrying on the bar bench, cautious not to bump or touch the eerie clown telephone. He flexed his fingers before reaching deep inside the hat. From within he produced a sepia pictograph that he flicked onto the bench before everyone. Our target's name is
6: Ernest Verne Price. He's a financier for Severlotta Studios Pictures, uh, identifying features besides the ones he funds. Goatee and mole
3: on right side of face. Mags? Magnet sighed as she popped the paper umbrella.
4: Mr. Whisper, please refer to me by my proper moniker and not an affectionate pet name.
3: Ms. Magnet sighed but continued.
4: Every morning, Mr. Price takes the 1016 AM spirit of progress express into town. I guess much like our friend Johnny Calcium over there, Jensen expensive suits are free to rock up for work any time they choose. Uh, Mr. Price will ride for forty-four minutes, leaving from Buckleham Station and arriving in the Flushpenny Central Precinct at the foot of Echelon Heights at precisely eleven a.m. He will depart from the carriage, but on the way to Mount Mamamov Towers. But he will take an Alapai Passage to purchase a bear call from Josjele's. For the record, by my internal minutes it is currently six... twenty-three a.m.
5: Dagman
3: Nyral turned her frizzy hair and looked at the cowboy with her one good eye.
5: You weren't here yesterday. How well do you remember the next part of the plan?
3: The skeleton man groaned, staring at the dark hues of his drink that shook with the motion and rattle of the boat. First
7: we get over the wall or in this case under it. Then Mr. Whisper and Ms. Magnet two Partner up. Enjoy Mr. Price as a passenger on this morning's train ride. Get a feel for the shape of the target. They'll tail him to the aforementioned alleyway. Sestas and I are to take the crawler. We'll be waiting on the rooftop with our insights should anything go wrong. The scenario will play out in one of two ways. Either Mr. Price will be a smart fella and happily be persuaded to go along with the game we're playing, or Cestus will drop down and convince him to come for a ride in the crawler.
3: As Deadman concluded his retelling of the plan, the Von Hydro girls giggled as someone heavy thumped and shoved squeaking wooden tables out of the way as he braced his stuffy weight. His ears burning and his leather Roman helmet mask astute, Cestus woozily straightened out his cingulum as his sense of self and balance returned.
8: And by convince him to, you mean I get to wallop the cabbage weasel with my fists, right?
3: Yes, you jolly big ape. If we fail, your fists shall shine. Mr. Whisper smiled at his competitor, but his smile dropped as Cestus hoveled over. The air around him was sour from the sins of the night before. Everyone near the bar wrinkled their nose, except for Deadman who retained his composure unblinkingly.
5: Cestus, darling, when did you last wash that outfit? Or take it off, at the least.
3: Nyrell eyed the tight-fitting blue and black leather legionary's costume on the man built like a wrestler. He scrapped the side of his hip and as with his gauntleted hand.
8: The costume doesn't come off. Sestis is always vigilant. If the city doesn't rest, then Sestus doesn't rest. Besides, Sestus ain't trust's laundromat staff. They're shifty and all working in allegiance. Who would they work him with?
3: Deadman asked seriously as everyone sighed and groaned. but and frustrated at the bear Deadman had just poked. I am glad you asked, skinny man. Cestus pushed forward, knocking tables out of the way as he marched to Deadman's right side and took a sit on a barstool that telescoped down slightly under his weight.
8: The man at the top. The man behind everything in it. The one whose wicked faces on every poster of this corrupt. That's all of us, Eddie, and mended on the coins that flow in our very intestines. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, don't they say? Just! Well, I says, give just as justly what is just as a... As- uh, Justingly.
4: What does that even mean?
3: Out of boredom from listening to Sestas butcher the English language, Madnet continued to fiddle with the umbrella. Mr. Whisper smiled awkwardly and Nyril massaged the temples of her bandana. Deadman, however, listened intensely, or at least the lack of official features on his emotionless front made him appear so.
8: The reason this is so serious is those Orientals, the laundry folk. They're working for him in it. They're very same serpent of a man who did this to me more than a thousand years ago. They made a blood pact with him and can use their washboards to spy on his behalf. Ooh, when I find him. Old oh, Jupiter will give me the strength to do what I need to do.
3: Cestus pounded his spiked knuckle into the leather restraints of his other titular fist, shaking his hands slightly out of spite, after spiking himself a little bit. Deadman remained unmoved at first but soon turned his feigned emerald spark back towards his drink. I am sorry that happened to you.
4: Nayrel, you've paired me with gits. Are you sure you're up to the task, Mr. Cestus?
3: What?
8: Yeah, no mum's will word on my true real mission while we're on the heist.
6: Right. Well, yeah, act to the heist. Mr. Whisper tagged himself in. Assuming no other complications. It's a mere matter of letting Mr. Price bring mags. Ah, uh, sorry. Ms. Magnet and I on an enchanted elevator ride with him through Mount Mammonwolf Towers to his penthouse office. War failing that, leaving dead men and Cestus to do a bit of emergency window cleaning. Either way, once inside, Mr. Price will tap the steam pulse lock on the penthouse vault for us, and we will help ourselves to the private reserve of the finest top-shelf prizes to bring back here to impress clientele. All courtesy and expenses paid, of course, by Cephalotus' studio's mythical tight office parties.
3: Mr. Whisper was chuffed after his tail.
4: It's a perfect plan for perfect execution. I spent weeks studying Mr. Price's behavior in the streets to ascertain the perfect moment to abduct him. So please don't go doing anything stupid that would otherwise unravel the time and brain space I've invested thinking things through so you nuts can live your little uninspired leaves.
3: Ms. Magnet thumped the table with the hand holding the entwined umbrella with enthusiasm. As she did, Nero fidgeted on the spot and nervously poured Magnette a tap beer.
4: Narrow. It's 6.29 a.m., and we're about to undertake a job. I don't think frying my brain cells now, is
5: the right. Actually, you might want the drink. I hate to do this to you, Magnet, but... The engineer wants a word with one of you about the mission. In the boiler room.
3: Nyrel grimaced apologetically. Magnet's fist shook until the toothpick umbrella snapped, the top falling limply from its metal coil. Magnet rose hastily from her seat, pausing to take a deep breath and straighten her curtain of bouncy orange hair. Before proceeding straight-legged through the submarine door etiquette had entered earlier, the gentlemen remaining at the bar all looked at each other in silence. Cestus pointed at himself with a fat finger and a confused stare, while Mr. Whisper looked nervous at Detman's hollow black eyes. Eventually, Detman slid his whiskey glass back across the table as its waves were tossed in a maelstrom inside.
7: Fine, you pansies. The woman and I somehow
3: have more balls in our ammo belts than either of you. The skeletal cowboy rose solemnly and clicked and jangled Bolligid around the bar to the same port Homedna had exited through. Nairo shrugged as she beckoned Etiquette back, loading her up with a dustpan and brush. Sestus jumped and slumped up several stools to where Deadman was sitting the whole time eyeing his abandoned scotch.
8: Um, if no one is having that, Sestus would like to claim it for the sake of justice.
7: gets too hot for comfort, and you can't get ice cream cones, take no sin, take off skin and dance around your bones, when the lazy syncopation of the music softly moans, Taino sin, take off your skin and dance around your bones. The polar bears aren't green up in Greenland. They've got the right idea. They think it's great to refrigerate while we all cremate down here. Just be like those bamboo babies in the South Sea tropic zones. Taino sin, take off your skin and dance around your bones.
2: There's still one you haven't met. But I promise next episode I'll deliver. That reminds me of something odd that happened to a friend of mine once. He was expecting a delivery. A big crate shipped all the way from one end of the city to the other. He waited all day and night for the package. Then at around midnight, he awoke to a series of desperate poundings and knockings on his front door. A little groggy and wearing his nightgown, this mate of mine took his time looking for a candle in his slippers. When he got to the door, he found his fragile package intact. But he also found some of the courier. Just his shoes and his blooded legs still sticking upright, eating right down to the shin Bone. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. Well, until next time, my lovelies, nighty-night passengers.
9: of the night are out in broad daylight. No need to knock on wood Don't stop to say a prayer It won't do any good They're multiplying in the air creatures of the deep are going without sleep and phantoms of the dark have their own place to harm They're sprouting through the cracks. They're making room for more. They're deputizing maniacs. What's best for us? They're fighting fire with gasoline The creatures from the swamp Rewrite their own mind comp Neanderthals amok just trying to make a buck and goblins and their hags are out there waving flags when will we be rid of monsters of the age